If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at American Signature Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the first episode of the Fantasy Football Addicts podcast for the 2021 season. My name is Mung, and of course, you can find me on Twitter at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. And of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Los. Hey, addicts, it's Los. You can, of course, find me at FFA underscore Los. That's L-O-S. We keep it short. We keep it simple. Welcome back to season seven of the Fantasy Football Addicts podcast. I'm excited for this season seven. One of my favorite numbers, Mung. Great to talk to you, bud. Yeah, I can't believe that this is our seventh season. I, I remember just kind of sitting on the floor uh, back when we were roommates, and we just kind of randomly brainstormed this, and uh, how, how far we've come. Oh, we have come so far in our lives, and, you know, so sometimes the, the, the further we go along, sometimes it's nice just to dial it back and go back to simpler times, simpler days in that, do- in that, in that apartment. Oh. Yeah, and I can't believe that it's already August. We're just about a a month away from the start of the season. We've got the Dallas Cowboys going up against the reigning Super Bowl champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, hopefully this preseason, we're going to have a little bit better idea of roles and usage for players with, you know, actually getting training camps and preseason and even a new series of hard knocks. It's going to be the Cowboys this year. Uh, you know, a, a long way removed from 2020 when we weren't even 100% sure that the season was going to happen because of COVID. Uh, of course, the downside of having a preseason is we're already getting injuries before the year starts. Uh, already we've lost Cam Makers for the year with the Achilles tear. Uh, Michael Thomas, who knows when we're going to get him back healthy after the ankle surgery. And of course, trouble in Indianapolis, Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson, both with foot injuries and surgeries. And then we've got Will Fuller, surprise, surprise, already some soft tissue injuries there. Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman. And then on top of all that, we have players coming off of the COVID list. Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards, Justin Jackson. So a lot of stuff going on already, but we're not talking about injuries today. We're going to be going through, as usual, our first preseason show, uh, what's uh, the values and fades at ADP. You excited, Los? Oh, I am very excited. Nice to finally just talk some football. It, dude, these injuries, man, when are we just going to get an abbreviated preseason? Let, let's let's wise up. We're extending the season. We're exposing these guys to more and more injury risk. Let's be smart. Yeah, I, I believe during the contract talks, they were talking about getting rid of a preseason game to add that 17th regular season game. But, of course, money prevails. Uh, They're keeping all that. Uh, But today, uh, we are going to be using underdog ADP, which is half PPR, but uh, it shouldn't be a huge impact, even though we're talking about these players in a standard 12-team full PPR format here. Um, We are using the underdog ADP over mock draft ADP, just because you get a lot of auto drafts, the timeouts. Uh, in mocks this early in the preseason. So, you know, we're going to go through all these guys, starting with quarterbacks, then running backs, wide receivers, and finally tight ends. But if you want my full top 200 PPR redraft rankings, you can find those over at fantrackshq.com. 
And before we get to the players who could really thrive this coming season, we want to talk to you guys about Thrive Fantasy. Thrive offers DFS-style contests on player props. It's super easy. You pick 10 out of 20 player props for the week, with each prop bed getting assigned a fantasy value for the over and under based on how likely the outcome is. The more you get right, the bigger the payout. Thrive Fantasy has over $140,000 in prizes for week one, including their $100,000 guaranteed Sunday contest where first place wins $20,000. Sign up now with our promo code FSA and you'll get a free roll for that contest. And on top of that, you're going to get an instant 100% deposit match of up to $100 for your first deposit, minimum $10. Check it out today on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Or you can play at thrivefantasy.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-E fantasy.com. Kicking off at quarterback fades here, uh, I have Justin Herbert, Los. He's going 82nd overall right now as the number seven quarterback off draft boards. And I get it, right? As a rookie, Herbert shattered expectations, and the Chargers made some big upgrades at O-line. I get the excitement for him as a sophomore, but from a fantasy perspective, being drafted at quarterback seven is more or less a ceiling. Herbert had a number of long touchdowns last year, despite ranking 21st in deep ball completion rate, and his clean pocket completion rate was just 18th among quarterbacks. I think he can finish the year as a mid-range QB1, but that's basically his ceiling. So could a number of quarterbacks going way after him. It's just too much value for me to pass up at running back and wide receiver in the late seventh round where he's going. I'd rather wait to grab somebody, you know, three, four rounds later and get pretty similar production. Totally agree with you there. Uh, as always, you know that I am a late round quarterback sort of guy. And uh, let's see, 82nd overall, that's going to be uh, seventh round. That is too early for me. Yeah. And then, you know, the next guy here, I think Los are going to agree with me again. Of course, we both hate the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, 87th overall as the number eight quarterback right after Herbert. And it's a lot of recency bias here. After that MVP season last year, the strong finish as a quarterback four in 2020. But this was a career year for a now soon to be 38 year old quarterback 48 passing touchdowns with an absolutely insane 9.1% touchdown rate for perspective here. The only other quarterback to even crack 7% last year was Russell Wilson and touchdown regression caught up with him hard in the second half of the season. Now in Rogers 13 years in the NFL, he's only cracked 7% in four of those seasons. And for added perspective, Lamar Jackson, who won MVP in 2019, likewise had a crazy 9% touchdown rate. And then last year, Jackson regressed to a more uh, amenable 6.9% touchdown rate. So expecting another career year for Rodgers, right on top of the other career year is a losing bet, especially when the Packers lost two of their starting offensive linemen in free agency. I've got Rodgers as QB 12, you know, a safe back-end QB 1, but I don't see that elite upside this year, and I, I wouldn't reach for him. I agree. Would not reach from there. Um, if he does happen to drop, because these, these are some early drafts, if he happens to drop, I, I think he does still have value. Um, I don't expect him to repeat that 9% touchdown rate, but I do expect him to come close to it. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he cracks seven, uh, as you were aforementioning before. He he is on a mission um, to prove his worth here to, to the league. I mean, 
he, he's going to come out and put up some points, but don't draft him early. Well, he does get uh, best friend Randall Cobb back, and who knows, maybe Jordy Nelson will come out of retirement too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe some James Jones on the perimeter as well. All right. Uh, for my picks, um, this is going to be a tough one to get out to, to say, but uh, Pat Mahomes, quarterback one, um, going in the back of the third at the 35th overall pick. I love Patrick Mahomes, but I don't like to take quarterback early. Uh, Mahomes is my quarterback one. If he falls into the fifth, I would be willing to reach there, but that is not some place he will land in any draft. I would much rather wait for Dak Prescott in the sixth, who has just as good a shot as quarterback one overall for this year, and keeping a wide receiver like Godwin or Lockett in the uh, in the round where you would get Mahomes um, rather than take Mahomes and get a wide receiver like DJ Chark or Devo Samuel. The value just does not add up for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I am a huge Mahomes fan as well. I love him this year as in years past, but, you know, we've talked about this. I feel like every single preseason show we've talked yep. about just, you know, wh whichever that QB1 is, the value just isn't there. You know, even if it's – I know there's some uh, risks with Dak Prescott with that shoulder injury right now, but Russell mm -hmm. Wilson, you know, Kyler Murray, all going at least about a round later. And I have them all in the same tier. So even if you do want a shot at one of those top five quarterbacks, at least wait until, like, round five to grab Kyler Murray or Josh Allen or whoever it might be. Exactly. I I would veer towards somebody with uh, at least that rushing upside. We need to see how Mahomes recovers with that leg. We have to see how that offensive line, which is newly uh, reconstructed, how that's going to pan out. Um, and Mahomes has not been the quarterback one in the past two seasons, unfortunately. Wish he was, but he was not. Yeah, I'm not worried about the offensive line, but just too early for Mahomes. Yep. And uh, my second quarterback is going to be Joe Burrow, currently going as quarterback 11, a starting quarterback uh, in the ninth round at 108th overall. Uh, we need to pump the brakes on Burrow a tad here. We have not seen him come back from that knee surgery or get in-game work at all yet. I am not willing to put him on the field or in my roster as a starting quarterback, and I'm not willing to take him uh, ahead of Tom Brady or over guys like Ryan Tannehill, a proven commodity, or Matt Stafford, who has a fresh start, plenty of upside this season. The ninth round should be spent on positional depth rather than this dart throw at quarterback. Yeah, and I actually, you know, I don't mind the range that Joe Burrow is going in, but I do have Brady, Tannehill, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, even Aaron Rodgers over him. Yes. Uh, and, and just, and, you know, even if you do love Burrow, the guys going right after him, you know, Matthew Stafford, Trevor Lawrence, it's a whole big range at that point where I would not reach for Burrow, especially with that risk coming off the ACL. It sounds like he's starting a little bit slow. I think the upside is still there with Burrow, but I agree. There's just guys that I prefer a little bit more in that range. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks that I prefer in that range, I think a value at ADP is Tom Brady, the reigning Super Bowl champion, 104th overall right now as the 10th quarterback. Yes, we generally want rushing production from our fantasy quarterbacks in this day and age, but pocket quarterbacks can still have elite production in that perfect storm uh, like Rodgers had last year and like how I think Brady has this year. Right, year two of Bruce Arians' offense. Uh, Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay really only started heating up on offense in the second half of last year once everything started coming together. Brady still has that top five offensive line, and 
probably the best and deepest receiving core in the entire NFL, right? Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, a healthy Antonio Brown, who, if you recall, missed half of last year due to suspension. Rob Gronkowski, no longer rusty, coming back from retirement. Potentially healthy O.J. Howard. And even if one of the wide receivers gets hurt, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, Jalen Darden's making news in camp. It's absolutely insane, the talent that they have there. And, you know, putting all stats aside, talk about the narrative too, right? Like, we know Tom Brady it never has enough. He doesn't have enough Super Bowls. He doesn't have enough MVPs. He doesn't care that people already consider him the GOAT. He wants Peyton Manning's 55 touchdown single season record, which might just be within reach with the addition of that 17th regular season game. So, I don't know if you guys remember a year or more ago, I pegged Brady as an MVP candidate uh, with Bruce Arians and Tampa Bay, and I, I think I was just a, a year too early. I'm calling it now. I think he's going to win MVP and be a fantasy league winner. I don't know if I'm throwing money down on uh, MVP, but I think you're spot on with your analysis, Mung. Um, add to that whole uh, that whole caboodle. Uh, caboodle. Caboodle. Who, who uses that word? <laughs> Throw into the mix the fact that Bruce Arians has never been a coach known to take his foot off the accelerator when the team's ahead, and I think you've got a recipe for success with Tom Brady. Yep, and the next guy here, uh, Los, you know how much I believe in him. You're probably sick of hearing me talk about him at this point, but I still will. Uh, Trey Lance, 117th overall, the number 14 quarterback right now coming off draft boards and i think that's still a steal in the 11th oh round <laughs> like we know that there's uncertainty surrounding the 49ers quarterbacks and there's risk because we don't know how many games that jimmy garoppolo is going to start the common narrative that i've heard a lot this preseason is that san francisco could win games even with jimmy garoppolo uh, especially with a pretty easy schedule this year. But that feels like a flawed narrative to me because even if the Niners win some games in spite of Garoppolo, they already have packages set up for Trey Lance. And at some point, once he flashes, it's hard not to unleash their number three overall pick that they traded up for. You know, why wait until you lose a game or two? Give Lance that easy early season schedule to get his feet underneath him. They play Detroit. Philadelphia and Green Bay to start the season. Those aren't defenses that scare you. So personally, I think that there's a decent chance that he starts week one. And if that happens, then I think his current ADP is going to be absolute steal. I think he can be a top five-ish fantasy quarterback as soon as he starts with that rushing floor and upside in each game. Top 10 offensive line and just huge, huge playmakers in Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo Samuel. I think you're getting a discount Lamar Jackson at a six round discount or so. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to differ a little bit here. Um, I need to see it first. Uh, Trey Lance, in my opinion, is, is an unproven quarterback. He is a project quarterback. He had one great year in college. The last game he played in college was not very good. Um, San Francisco is a very good team. I, I trust their front office and their coaching staff, but I think they decided to take a quarterback who they believe in and, and build him into something. And I don't think that's going to happen sooner than the first five to six weeks of the season. Um, I, I'm just curious if he does not start or it doesn't look like you're start, he's going to start the season. Are you still looking to take him at QB 14 or a borderline, you know, your quarterback one for your team or wh what's your backup plan here? 
So I think at that point, you know, if we do hear like Jimmy Garoppolo is for sure the week one starter, if we get that report at some point, I'd still be willing to take uh, Trey Lance, probably not quite as high because you all need to, right? The rest of your league mates aren't going to be taking a quote-unquote backup quarterback. But right. I think I'd be willing to grab him, you know, in round 13, 14, 15, if you think that no one else is going to take him. And then you can kind of stream for the first few weeks until you get Lance on the field. Okay. I, I could see that. I It's a different... It's a different strategy than I like to use. I like to have guys on my roster that if they're not producing the first two weeks, I like to cut them. Whereas if I were to spend on Lance, no matter what round, I feel like if I cut him, I'd be potentially giving another team a league winning quarterback. So, so I, I feel like he handcuffs you a little bit. That's, that's my worry. I understand that, but that's why I would hold the quote unquote league winning quarterback on your bench and just right. kind of, you know, Basically, I want to play keep away. I, I don't want somebody else in my league to be unleashing Trey Lance on me in week eight or nine uh, and, you know, have that regret. Fair enough. I think the uh, I think what we need to uh, establish here is that we need to fix the broken system at quarterback and return quarterback fantasy points to actual quarterbacking and not running around like your head's on fire. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you like, uh, you know, increasing the importance of the passing game, I know some leagues have moved to six-point passing touchdowns. That certainly negates some of the rushing up production, right? Yep, yep. I think we need to increase the passing yardage points or, or cut back the – maybe just cut back the rushing yardage points more so, maybe like a half point per yard. Well, ha- I mean, uh, for, well not per yard, I was you know say, what I'm saying. For those who have played or heard of the Scott Fishbowl, uh, he really kind of changes the QB scoring. So you get negative points for incompletions. You get penalized heavily for sacks mm. as well as interceptions. So at that point, you know, you're really trying to get the truly good NFL quarterbacks from an NFL set, right? Right. Right. Cool. So well, that's, food yeah. for thought. Food for thought. Fish food. All right. On to my guys. Um, undervalued quarterbacks. Ryan Tannehill going off at quarterback 12, uh, the 111th overall in the 11th round. Now, I actually love the draft spot here, so I'm not necessarily asking for an ADP bump. I'd love to be getting him in that spot, so so please don't take him. Uh, this is just a friendly reminder that Ryan Tannehill has been the overall quarterback three, not a quarterback three, the quarterback three in most scoring formats since taking over his starter in Tennessee in 2019. Uh, give me that in the late rounds any day of the week. Yeah, and you know, to your point, he finished as the number eight quarterback last year, and that was without Julio Jones, who they traded for this offseason. So I have him ranked uh, well ahead of ADP as my number nine quarterback. So I am in agreement here. And another quarterback I've got is Matthew Stafford, quarterback 13, 114th overall, a couple of picks later. If there's a coach who knows how to get the most out of a situation, it is Sean McVay. We've seen that time and again. Stafford has been a solid quarterback since getting past some injury-riddled seasons early in his career. He's coming to L.A. with what should easily be the best wide receiver core he's had since making Calvin Johnson a perennial wide receiver one. I'm very bullish on Stafford as a late-round quarterback. And again, I love the value here. Don't necessarily need him to go you know past the 11th round but i'm thinking he should be drafted better than quarterback 13 
Yeah, I mean, I think Stafford is certainly a value. Uh, I, I have him ranked as quarterback 13, but he could easily finish much higher than that. Uh, I have some money down on Tom Brady to win MVP, but I do have a few dollars here and there on Stafford as well. Um, and, you know, with that Cam Akers injury, it could be argued that perhaps the Rams will become a little bit more pass-heavy uh, and not so reliant on the ground game, which they've used in the past to kind of mask Jared Goff's inefficiency. That is a great point. We saw last year Daryl Henderson was the preferred pass catcher over, over Cam Akers. Yeah. All right, moving on to the running back position. We talked about Ryan Tannehill, and now I want to talk about Derrick Henry. Who is going third overall, the number three quarterback behind only Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook. And look, Derrick Henry is an absolute beast. I'm not arguing against that. He's a special, special talent. And maybe he's going to prove me dead wrong this year. But we've discussed his lack of usage as a receiver for years. He's been able to overcome that with incredible production on the ground. Coming off a career year with 2,000 rushing yards on almost 400 carries, that's just a lot of risk from such a high workload, even if he's an outlier among running backs. But for me, the bigger concern is going to be the Titans' bottom five secondary. They ranked 30th in pass defense DVOA last year, and they really did nothing this offseason to improve defensively. And I feel like they kind of know the situation that they're in, which is why they trade for Julio Jones, because there's a chance that they're going to be in a lot more shootouts uh, this year than in seasons past, uh, be a little bit more pass-heavy on offense with the new offensive coordinator. And I think that just means that teams drafting Henry this early are going to be really reliant on touchdowns for him. And look, maybe the elite tandem of A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are going to open things up even more for Henry on the ground, but he's being drafted at pretty much his absolute ceiling as the number three overall pick. I just have a hard time seeing him living up to that expectation. I've got him ranked as a strong quarterback one at, or excuse me, running back one at 10th overall, but I've never seen him drop out of the top five. I'm probably going to have zero shares of Derrick Henry. Totally agree. He's being drafted at his absolute ceiling. He has not been part of the pass game, though he has shown some chops, you know, in the screen game, the ability, I think uh, first game of the season, he busted off like a 60 yard uh, catch and run. Um, but you do not bring Julio Jones onto the team to not throw him the football 100-plus times, um, assuming he's healthy and good for the start of the season, of course. Uh, if, if that is in question, then maybe uh, maybe we're on to something with him. Maybe you're on to something with Henry here. Um, but th this uh, team is not high enough volume uh, in the past game for me to have any uh, idea to think that they're going to throw Henry the ball more. Yeah, we've heard some news of Darrington Evans getting some receiving work at mm. camp, so... I, like you said, I think Derrick Henry can catch the ball. I just, we haven't seen anything from Tennessee to suggest that they're going to increase his usage in that way. Yeah. I mean, it could be that Mike Vrabel just doesn't want him to be like a sitting duck. In as much as Derrick Henry, big as he is, could be a sitting duck to absorb big shots while he's trying to catch a football. He is a lot more valuable as a, as a standard running back than it, than the risk that it could be present if somebody goes low on him as he's trying to go high to catch a football or something. Maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know. I don't know, man. I think if you're going for Derrick Henry, he is the one who knocks. So <laughs> I don't. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. But you know, I don't know.
Yeah. All right, moving on to my second fade at running back is Travis Etienne, who's going 56 overall as the number 21 running back. Look, James Robinson is still getting a lot of first-team reps in camp, and even if Etienne carves out a big role as receiver, it's hard to see him really outproducing that ADP of running back 21 in a committee backfield. We don't know what this Jacksonville offense is really going to look like. Maybe he's going to get some snaps out of the slot, even with Robinson at tailback. But expecting him to regularly be involved like that when they have LaVisca Chenault or any of those other wide receivers, I think is unlikely. The narrative is that Etienne has that built-in chemistry with Trevor Lawrence, his college quarterback, which is true. But there's just simply a lot that we can't project for Jacksonville's offense with this rookie quarterback and new head coach. I've got ETN at RB26 behind uh, one of my running back values that we're going to discuss shortly. I believe that his current uh, draft position in, in, this, in this draft um, has everything to do with this being um, best ball. Uh, I think ETN has the potential to be a league winner in the second half of the season, uh, maybe the final six games of the season. I would not draft him, but I would try to trade for him if uh, if we if he hit midseason and he does not turn into much of anything. Um, James Robinson is going to be the primary back on the field. I fully believe that. We never really see it work out when uh, running backs are trying to be integrated into the system as a slot receiver or primarily as a wide receiver. That never seems to work out. NFL wide receivers are too talented for uh, running backs to overtake them. Um, closest thing we saw was Tariq Cohen, but most of his stuff was coming out of the backfield. Um, so I, I think ETN does overtake James Robinson late in the season, but it is it is a gamble to uh, say the Jags are going to make it work. Yeah, I think the answer to, you know, the Jacksonville running backs is I'll take whoever's cheaper because sure. Robinson is a good talent. I just don't know that either one of them is going to become, you know, a workhorse. I think this is going to be a split committee, and I just don't know that there are going to be enough touchdowns in Jacksonville to support both. There you go. All right, and on my side of things, I am going to select Der uh, Jonathan Taylor as my first overvalued running back. Running back 10 at 16 overall. Now, admittedly, this is not a terrible draft slot for him. He is, he is a top talent, but I just want to use this time to make a case to try and lock in a first-round running back unless the value makes no sense to do it. That means taking a running back above the top three wide receivers as, if possible. Jonathan Taylor is going to be many teams running back one, uh, especially teams who take wide receivers early, and he's already lost his quarterback and the best run blocking guard in the league. Uh, additionally, Naeem Hines is going to uh, still be pesky and steal pass down work. We know this team game plan it's not a surprise it doesn't matter that taylor's the best running back he has decent pass game chops we aren't calling the plays for indianapolis the indianapolis coaches are and they they know what they want to do yeah and I, you know i want to debunk some myths because we hear so much jonathan taylor stuff flying around on twitter and just in general discussions about fantasy and look, no one's worried about Marlon Mack, right? No. Uh, no, or at least no one should be worried about Marlon Mack. But Naeem Hines is a very good passing down back. And then on top of that, we hear a lot about the Quentin Nelson injury, but their left tackle is on the PUP list, right? Eric Fisher tore the Achilles and they signed him. So it's not just uh, Quentin Nelson. There are questions about the rest of the offensive line as well. And it's just, like you said, if you're drafting him there, hopefully he's your RB2, depending on who you take in the first round. But 
it's just a risk reward pick at that point. I actually do have him ranked 17th overall, so I'm about you know at ADP on him, but I certainly would not be taking him in the first round, which I have seen some people pushing for. Yeah, just know what you're getting yourself into. A big, uh, big problem he was having at the start of last season was running straight into his offensive line, not having great vision. That's not going to improve with uh, with injuries to his O line. Yep. All right, my next guy is Miles Sanders going off at running back 19, 46 overall in the fourth round. The only plausible justification I can think of to take Sanders here is the running back pool dries up so quickly. I don't this. I don't want this caliber of running back starting for my team, and he's being taken as as the square middle of the running back two ranks. This probably says more about running back than it does about Miles Sanders, but plan for running back early so you can, instead of relying on Miles Sanders, get a Brandon Ayuk who has right wide receiver one upside. Deontay Johnson, who should be a locked-in wide receiver two, possibly one in a PPR, or another high-reward wide, wide receiver when other guys are grabbing the scraps at running back. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to take Miles Sanders when you have that kind of talent going alongside him in that same ADP range. And look, we, we don't know if this Eagles offensive line is going to stay healthy. They had issues last year with that. And we know, like Jonathan Taylor, that he does have competition for the receiving yep. role. He's had, yep. he's had issues with drops last year. He's already had issues with drops in camp. So whether it's Boston Scott or Kenneth Gainwell, it's going to be a committee of some sort. And again, this isn't a, a super-powered enough offense where I feel like it's going to be enough to just have that early down role. Although we've seen, you know, he does have the ability to hit those long touchdowns. All right, moving on now to the running back values at ADP. My first guy is Trey Sermon, who's going 78th overall as the RB27. And look, Sermon is a perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan's zone scheme. He's going to split work with Raheem Mostert, but unlike Philadelphia, who we just talked about, I do feel like San Francisco is one of those few offenses that could support two fantasy-relevant running backs. Sermon profiles better as the primary runner and the goal line back, with Mostert mixing in more as a receiver in between the 20s. And look, San Francisco, Cleveland, and Baltimore, those are the three rushing attacks that I think you can draft two running backs from who both could be good. And also, if Trey Lance wins that starting job sooner or later under center, I do think that his mobility to threaten defenses also further opens up the run game for Sermon and Mostert here. A lot of people were talking about RG3 as a rookie and talking about Lance as part of that conversation. But I haven't heard many people mention that Alfred Morris had 1,600 yards and 13 touchdowns with RG3. So even if Mostert and Sermon are split in time here, I think that Sermon can come close to 1,000 rushing yards and potentially double-digit touchdowns in a very efficient run scheme here. I take Sermon over other running backs drafted ahead of him, like ETN, who we just talked about, like Miles Sanders, who we just talked about, and then guys like Miles Gaskin and Mike Davis as well. Completely agree there, and that's exactly what I was just looking at uh, for context. Who's going in that range? Um, other guys were looking at Javante Williams. Um, let's see, uh, Damian Harris. I, I think you're right on the money with Trey Sermon here. All right, moving on to the next one here. Gus Edwards, who's being drafted 126th overall as the RB40. 
I just mentioned, right? San Francisco is one of the backfields where I think two running backs could be good for fantasy, and Baltimore was another one. They pretty much phased out Mark Ingram from their offense after week seven, their bye week last year. And from week eight onward, it might shock you to know that in the nine games where both Dobbins and Edwards were active, Dobbins played 53% of the offensive snaps, averaged 12.1 carries per game. And then Edwards played 32% of the offensive snaps, and he averaged 9.7 carries per game. So really just two to three rushing attempts splitting, or uh, excuse me, being the difference between them. And then in the red zone, Dobbins saw 22 red zone carries compared to Edwards' 23 red zone carries in those nine games. So even if we're assuming that Dobbins' role is going to grow after he had a great rookie year, Dobbins is super talented in his own right, but we know that Baltimore wants to keep using a committee backfield, and Edwards is going to stay involved here. From weeks 8 through 16 last year, Dobbins was the RB19 in PPR scoring, and Edwards was the RB20. And yet Dobbins is being drafted as the RB16 and Edwards as the RB40 which makes absolutely no sense to me, right? Even if you think Dobbins is going to take on a bigger share of work, I think Edwards is a huge value here. He's a standalone flex option. And if Dobbins were to miss time, I do think that Edwards could have RB1 upside. Totally agree. Uh, even more backup to my point right there. Take a running back early. Don't go after somebody where you have to rely on J.K. Dobbins to start for your team. Um, I, I just... Don't care for it. You're absolutely right on, on Gus Edwards. Yeah, I think Dobbins will have some big weeks, but I do think he's going to be a bit up and down. All right. I've got Aaron Jones as the running back 7, 11th overall, which is quite high. He's already going in the first round. But another offseason has passed, and Aaron Jones still has not gotten the credit he deserves. The guy gets no respect. He turns in perennial top running back performances and stays ranked behind Saquon Barkley, who he has finished above every year. He has stayed healthy, and he enters another season where Aaron Rodgers is going to take the Packers' offense into scorched earth mode. It's not a huge adjustment, but he should at least be going over Saquon and the three wide receivers as a true stud running back one. Yeah, I don't I don't know if, you know, ADP is still catching up from when Aaron Rodgers was still rumored to potentially retire or get traded, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. um, but now that Rodgers is confirmed to be back with the Packers for at least 2021, I agree. I have Aaron Jones ranked fifth overall, and there's absolutely no reason he should drop into the second round ever. No. And even they've gotten Jamal Williams off the team who, who was taking some pass and down work. We don't see that happening with A.J. Dillon. Right. All right. My other guy staying in the NFC North. We've got David Montgomery coming off the board at running back 18, 42nd overall in the middle of the third round. David Montgomery finished the 2020 season at record pace at the as the end of the season uh, uh, running back. He had weeks of running back one at the end of the season. Worded that weirdly. Uh, yes, he was trashing some subpar defenses, but why is that a bigger narrative than him ending the season as the running back for overall as after starting the season with a uh, season-threatening hamstring injury? We totally forgot that happened, I guess. By no means, do not draft him as a running back one. 
but dropping him past J.K. Dobbins, Swift, Carson makes absolutely no sense to me. And I think he makes either the top tier of the running back twos or the back end of those of those reliable running back ones. Not quite into running back one territory, but but certainly above the the likes of Sanders and the rest. Yeah, I, I'm not quite there with you on Montgomery. I have him ranked pretty closely to his ADP, uh, but I also have no issue with anyone taking him over Dobbins, Swift, or Carson. Um, personally, I definitely prefer Carson over Montgomery. I, I think my only concern is if Damian Williams gets someone involved. We've heard that Tariq Cohen is still struggling coming back from that ACL tear, but you know, Damian Williams is someone who played with Matt Nagy in Kansas City. Um, he can be a solid complimentary back. So just a little bit of risk in terms of if Montgomery's going to be as involved as a receiver like he was the second half of last year after Cohen was gone. All right, fair. I'll take it. All right, let's do the wide receivers then. Uh, my first fade at ADP is DJ Moore, who's going 41st overall as the number 20 wide receiver. Look, Moore's super talented, but the issue is his role in Carolina and the lack of scoring. Last year, Robbie Anderson led the team with a 26% target share compared to Moore's 24%. And then Anderson finished as the wide receiver 15 in PPR versus Moore as the wide receiver 23, and yet their ADPs are reversed. We're not projecting Carolina to suddenly switch up the, the wide receiver roles. Uh, Moore was consistently the deep threat with a 13.2 average depth of target versus Anderson and Samuel, who both saw more underneath targets at 9.7 and 7.3. And then now you throw in the six foot three rookie Terrace Marshall. He figures to step into that big slot role. And then the Panthers also went out and signed Dan Arnold at tight end and free agency. So both of these guys are going to be big red zone targets for Sam Darnold. And unless something drastic changes here, I'm just not sure that his target share or touchdown opportunity are, are going to increase that much. Again, I think he's super talented, but I just don't know that he's being utilized in the way that is going to result in a lot of touchdowns. And I'd much rather take Anderson at a discount in the late fifth over more in the early fourth. And then I also really like Terrace Marshall, who you can get in the 13th round or later in a lot of drafts. So, I just think that Moore, again, is a guy who's being drafted kind of as a ceiling because I don't see a, a top 12 finish for him. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, we don't know what Sam Darnold's going to do. What did we see him do in uh, in New York? We saw him hyper, hyper target the slot. He's got an excellent big man target in the slot. Uh, I think Terrace Marshall has some late round value or some uh, free agent find value later in the season as a guy who's really going to move your fantasy team forward. So um, if he's, if he remains undrafted, you know, put, put him on your, uh, put him on your waiver wire for sure. Yep. A lot of exciting things going on in Carolina. I, again, with Christian McCaffrey back too. you know, some of those targets yep. are going to go back to him. Sure. All right, my other wide receiver fade is none other than Michael Thomas, who's really fallen after a rough 2020 season, and now, you know, the news of that late surgery. He's going 72nd overall still as the number 35 wide receiver, and again, I understand that some people are saying, hey, this is a guy who could be a league winner if he's healthy down the stretch, and I'd be willing to take a chance on Thomas, but not until round 9 or 10. Right. If you're taking mm -hmm. him 72nd overall, 
right, in the early seventh round, that's just a lot of risk to take on. He's going to start the year on pup, which means that week seven is the earliest that he could be back. And even if he plays then, you're not going to be confident starting him in his first week back. And there's a chance that even if he is active week seven, he's not going to be 100% on that ankle, which is super important for cutting and moving around for wide receivers. So, you know, best case scenario, you're starting him week eight. Uh, and then just looking ahead, I know it's too, it's too early to really know how some of these defenses are going to perform, but I feel pretty confident about the Bucks defense uh, who brought back all their starters last year, right? So the Saints go up against the Bucks in the first week of the fantasy playoffs in week 15. And then Michael Thomas probably sees a lot of Xavier Howard in a tough Dolphins secondary. Xavier Howard has got paid big money uh, in week 16, the fantasy semifinals. So you're getting hopefully, you know, seven or eight good weeks out of him in the second half of the year. Uh, and then he's got a brutal two matchups to start the fantasy playoffs. So I'm out on him at that ADP. If he starts dropping, uh, you know, around 10 or so, I'll gladly take a shot on him, but too early still for me. I think you've hit the nail on the head, and I and I think you inadvertently crept into one of my fantasy secrets. The only time I will take uh, schedules into account is when we have situations like this, where we have a player we know is going to miss part of the season, will return for a certain set of the season, so we know exactly where we'll be expecting to need him. You're absolutely right. Too early to take a guy who's got too tough of a schedule down the stretch. He's going to hit, especially when we don't know the quarterback situation on this team. The Saints have too many holes, too many questions. Not worth it. Yeah, the quarterback situation is less of a worry just because I think Thomas will get plenty of targets, whoever it is, but certainly, you know, just too much risk at his current ADP. Yep. All right. I've got DK Metcalf coming off the board at wide receiver six, 18th overall. Call me a skeptic, but I'm not convinced that DK Metcalf can keep his breakout going this year, mostly because he didn't keep his breakout going all of last year. In the second half of 2020, DK only had two touchdowns in eight games. He was under 62 yards five times in his final at eight games. That is not someone I can grab on grab at wide receiver six and rely on. Tyler Lockett remains underrated and has a chance for 100 catches, which of course caps Metcalf's upside, especially in an offense that Pete Carroll wants to run the ball even more in. This is a very expensive Mike Evans. So I'll say this about the Seahawks. Um, it would not shock me if bringing in Shane Waldron, if they start playing a little bit more up-tempo if Russell Wilson is, you know, again in the MVP candidate race and both Seahawks wide receivers finish in the top 10. So I think that is in his range of outcomes. But I do think that there is the risk that Pete Carroll starts running a little bit more uh, with a better defense than they had last year. And like you said, uh, he is going to uh, be used on those downfield routes a little bit more. It, it sounds like they're going to try and use him in different ways. So. Again, I think the ceiling is there. He could finish as wide receiver six or better. But again, I think that is his ceiling. It's really tough for me because I think the talent is all there for Seattle. It's whether or not Pete Carroll's going to just let them do their thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But because of those questions and because we've seen Pete Carroll coach for quite some time now and we know he can be very stubborn and domineering, I just at the very least cannot in any in any way take him over the likes of A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson, uh, and C.D. Lamb. 
not happening. Oh, and probably not Keenan Allen, especially if we're talking a full PPR, but these ranks are for half. Yeah, definitely Keenan Allen as well. Um, personally, I'm taking George Kittle over these oh, wide sure. receivers. Yep. Um, yeah, it just like you said, why why take DK Metcalf in what the mid second round when you can get Mike Evans or his teammate Tyler Lockett in the third or fourth round? Absolutely. And then uh, I guess I sort of cheated here. My second wide receiver is actually a string of three wide receivers. Wide receiver one, two, and three, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, and Stefan Diggs should not be going over Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley for the reasons I talked about earlier. Too little depth at running back and too much value at wide receiver this year. Yeah, I, this really comes down to more a fundamental question of how you want to build your team, right? I think zero, zero running back has become a, a more popular approach in recent years. Yeah, for and, losers. <laughs> and I, I'm actually okay with it. <laughs> I, I, I switched it up here or there. Um, I certainly, you know, it'd be hard for me to pass up some of those elite running backs. I get that there are questions with Barkley's health, so I could understand if he drops. Um, Aaron Jones, I would take over these wide receivers. Off Neckler, again, that's kind of a, a toss-up for me personally because he has that Alvin Kamara-esque upside in PPR. But at the same time, we've already heard them say, you know, Eckler's not going to be that goal line guy, et cetera. Um, and for me, I, I get it because running backs do get injured at a higher rate than wide receivers. And at least for me, Tyreek Hill is is up there with these top running backs because I do think that the Chiefs made significant improvements to the offensive line, which means even as crazy as it might sound, an even higher ceiling than we've seen for Tyreek Hill than in years past. Um, but I, I get your argument here as well. All right. And I guess we didn't bring it up, and uh, I'm sure the uh... – the listeners cannot see our ADP, but uh, the ADP we have does have Kelsey above everyone named as well. I agree. Kelsey should be above all these wide receivers. Yep. I mean, that's just purely the, the positional advantage. And I think that the argument can be made, too, that if you think that it's fine to take Kelsey at six, then Darren Waller and George Kittle should be higher than where they're being taken. I don't know offhand where they're being taken. <laughs> uh, I do think know, he's in a class all on his own, but let's third. Say. Yeah, I don't yeah, think they should okay, be sure. fifth or sixth. Sure. But, I, you know, I have, let's see, I have Darren Waller ranked early second. Because if, 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 if you want the tight end scarcity oh advantage, my. right, these elite tight ends, then he's not that far behind Travis Kelsey in my eyes. Uh, nor is George Kittle, who I that. think – you can expect an increase in efficiency with Trey Lance. Oh, for me, it's still kittled by a Lance, by a large, large margin over Darren Waller. I, I like Darren Waller, but that was all game script. As that team turns into anything, they're not just going to keep hyper-targeting the tight end. Josh Jacobs is too darn good. Kenyon Drake is talented. They're going to grow some wide receiver talent. I like Darren Waller. Don't get me wrong. Love Darren Waller, but solid tight end three, firmly behind George Kittle, not in the second round for me. Fair enough. We'll, we'll stick with the wide receivers here. We'll talk about tight ends in just a little bit, but uh, let's move on to the wide receiver values at ADP. Uh, my first guy here is Antonio Brown, who's going 81st overall as the number 41 wide receiver. 
So I talked about Tom Brady, and it only makes sense that given my projections for Brady, Antonio Brown is a massive value at ADP as well. Last year, when all three of Brown, Evans, and Godwin were active from weeks 10 to 16, Evans led them in 20 in target share with 24%, and then Godwin and Brown each saw a 19% target share. Now, Brown didn't produce quite as much on those targets, but it's important to remember here that he was suspended for the first half of last season, got absolutely zero reps with the team, and he was playing through a knee injury that he ended up getting surgery on this offseason. So assuming he does see a similar target share to Godwin, there's really zero reason that his ADP should be three, four rounds later in the late seventh round when Evans and Godwin are both being drafted in the third or fourth round. I'd be willing to reach on Brown as early as round six, maybe even the end of round five as a wide receiver three who I think could finish in the top 15. I have Brown ranked as my wide receiver 27, which is way above his wide receiver 41 ADP. Antonio Brown is an extremely skilled wide receiver. He's he's yes, he's getting a little older. This is a guy who was the wide receiver one for three or four seasons in a row. He is not going to have that Des Bryant type or that high, you know, highly physical receiver type drop off. He is a great round runner. He knows how to find himself in space. Totally agree. Big value this year. Yeah, I think it's just a case where people, you know, got so tired of the off field drama with his legal sure. issues and what was it? He didn't pay a caterer, and that's why he was getting sued at some point. Just ridiculous things. Well, that but. was one of the things. That was probably on the lower end of the problems he's caused, if we're being honest. But right. I, I don't think he's without ridiculous risk. Stuff. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he finds himself out of the league by week five, honestly. I, I mean— I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked, though. By no means am I wishing that. Talented player. The game's better when he's on his game and he's playing like a baller that he is. Um, that's what I hope to see from Antonio Brown this season. I agree. And, uh, you know, another guy who I think the off-field narratives have kind of taken over the on-field narratives is Cole Beasley, who's my second value mm. here. Going 137th overall, wide receiver 65. Now, Beasley's caught a ton of flack recently for his anti-vax tweets, but we need to be able to separate the on-field and off-field stuff, right? Sure. There have been rumors that the Bills are going to cut Beasley for being a headache uh, with the media stuff going on. But think about it this way. The odds of the Bills cutting their number two wide receiver when they're Super Bowl contenders just seems incredibly slim to me, right? He was the clear number two wide receiver for them last year with a 20% target share behind only Stephon Diggs. And then before he fractured his leg in week 16, Cole Beasley was the wide receiver 15 in PPR through 15 weeks. So wide receiver 65 ADP is completely baffling to me. I'd be willing to take him as early as round eight, which means that I can take him you know, above ADP in round 10 to guarantee that I get him. And I still think that's a discount for how he's going to produce here. So I'm, what I'm saying is I'm pretty much going to have Cole Beasley in every single league this year if his ADP doesn't start rising in the next month or so. I've got him ranked as my wide receiver 35. You're not wrong. Um, he's a value there. He absolutely is. But there's no flash. There's no sizzle on that steak. There's no, uh, no, there's no peppercorns on that, uh, on that sausage. <laughs> um, yeah. You're right. Solid. Every year he goes undrafted. Every year he ends up a value uh, getting picked up and providing solid bi-week flex appeal, flex value. Um, 
You're not wrong. You're getting ahead of the curve there. That's that's not bad. Hey, look, if he's by wide receiver three or wide receiver four and he's producing as a wide receiver two like he was last year, I don't care. You know, give me that bologna and cheese sandwich on white bread. I don't need yeah. anything fancy. You know, he's filling my stomach, putting the fantasy points in that wide receiver spot. That's all that really matters. You are absolutely right. Absolutely right. All right. So we're going to take it back to a team you've already talked about a few too many times. And we're going to bring up Chris Godwin going off the board at wide receiver 19, 40th overall. You can only let Chris Godwin fall so far, folks. He finished as the number wide or two wide receiver in 2019 behind only Michael Thomas with his record setting season. He battled injury much of last season, and he is a tremendous slot option for Tom Brady. I'm betting on Tom getting back to moving the ball through the slot, and I fully see Godwin as a 100-catch potential wide receiver, even with the other options in this offense. We talked about I do not, you do not expect uh, uh, the team to take their foot off the gas. They're going to fully try and blow people out this season, and I see lots of points to go around. Uh, Brady is cerebral. I see him returning to Godwin, which is going to damper Mike Evans' output a little bit, but don't take that to mean that I don't like Mike Evans. I like them both quite a bit, and I think they are a uh, better and cheaper version of, uh, of Lockett and, uh, and uh, DK. Yeah, I mean, if you start your draft running back, running back, or running back tight end or something, I would have no issue with Godwin and Evans is my wide receiver one and wide receiver two. I, I yep. like both of them here. Absolutely. If you can get both in round three and four, depending on who else is there, I have no problem with that. There you go. And another wide receiver a little, little further down the list, not quite as much upside, Tyler Boyd going off at wide receiver 34, 74th overall in the sixth round. Let's get the guys on the field before we anoint Jamar Chase the second coming. I know I know you're big on rookie fever over there, Monk, but Tyler Boyd has had great rapport with Joe Burrow. He's produced solid numbers consistently, and he's going to produce, uh, continue to produ produce. I do not think that Joe Burrow lobbying for Jamar Chase was saying anything bad about, uh, about, about the other wide receivers in the core. I think this is just a kid who likes to sling the football and wants to score a billion points. So to me, this, uh, this guy seems like a lot better player to grab in the sixth round than chance plays on Mike Williams, Devante Smith and LaVisca Chenault who are all going in the same range as him. Yeah. And I think to your point, uh, this is another case where I, I do think that redraft ADP is going to diverge a little bit from underdog ADP because uh, the, the best ball does push up guys like Mike Williams and Lovis Chanel, right? You're hoping for those long touchdowns right. any given week, but uh, you know, the, the reliable PPR floor and ceiling of Tyler Boyd um, certainly underrated. I guess the only reason I don't have more Tyler Boyd is because I'm taking Antonio Brown in that same range, um, which sure. I prefer. Uh, but certainly no no issue with Boyd. I do think that he's going to be guaranteed a lot of targets out of the slot with Burrow, regardless of how well Chase or Higgins does. There you go. All right, so let's move on to the tight end position here. Uh, we got some fades first. Uh, Kyle Pitts, who I love the talent. I love it. But 45th overall as the number four tight end, we get it, right? Kyle Pitts isn't your normal tight end. He's basically Calvin Johnson, but you can start him in your tight end spot. And we've already seen the Falcons are willing to use him a little bit out of the slot, uh, maybe even out wide, more so than traditional inline tight ends. But there's still a fairly steep learning curve to the position here. He's going to be competing with an established number one wide receiver in Calvin Ridley for targets, even though Julio's gone. 
Mark Andrews uh, is Lamar Jackson's favorite red zone target, who I think should be in the same range as Pitts, as well as TJ Hawkinson, who could and should lead the Lions in targets this year. But Pitts is being drafted a round and a half over Andrews and Hawkinson. I have all three of those guys as my second tier of fantasy tight ends this year, um, and I have them all ranked closely. So I just would never reach for Pitts when he's going that far ahead of the other two. And then outside of the tight end position, too, you know, Pitts is being drafted right now ahead of guys like Daryl Henderson, Brandon Ayuk, uh, all the elite quarterback options outside of Mahomes. And it's just a lot of draft capital to use on a rookie tight end, and you're betting that he's going to just shatter previous rookie tight end records. Again, just a player who's being drafted, in my opinion, at his absolute ceiling. And I'd rather have a potential league-winning quarterback, running back, or wide receiver uh, in the fourth, fifth round. Or, you know, if you do want that second tier of tight ends, I'd rather wait on Andrews or Hawkinson around later. Atlanta's not even going to be able to sustain drives long enough for Kyle Pitts to set all these records. You're spot on. Ooh, that's ooh, that's a little spicy. I do think their offense will be good. I just, I don't think with Calvin Ridley there, maybe if Ridley were gone too, I'd be all in on Pitts, but Calvin Ridley's too good not to get a ton of targets with Julio gone. Absolutely. 150 plus targets easily without question, but they've got Tampa twice a year and they've got the Saints twice a year. Yeah, no, no arguments there. Um, all right, my next tight end fade is Tyler Higby, who's going 98th overall as the number eight tight end off board. And I think the general consensus here is that the Rams' offense is just going to be far more efficient with Matthew Stafford than it was with Jared Goff, and I 100% agree with that. I'm just not sure that particularly helps Higby from a fantasy perspective. T.J. Hawkinson last year saw a massive 18% target share with Stafford, but that was on a Lions team that was bereft of talent at wide receiver. Only Marvin Jones healthy, really, for the whole year with Kenny Galladay out. And now with the Rams in 2021, Stafford's going to have Robert Woods. He's going to have Cooper Cup. Not to mention a more efficient run game, even with the loss of Akers than he had in Detroit last year. Higby saw, you know, a 7.7 average depth of target last year, comparable to Hawkinson's and a lot of other tight ends. But that short area passing was kind of driven by Goff's inability to throw deep. Goff ranked 27th in intended air yards per attempt in 2019, 38th in 2020. And in contrast, Stafford has been a very aggressive deep passer. He ranked first in intended air yards per attempt in 2019 and ninth in 2020. So there's every reason to think that Higby's role isn't going to grow quite as much as some people are thinking, even with Gerald Everett gone. I think, if anything, Stafford just means a huge, huge ceiling for Woods and Cup. So I have Higby at tight end 10, not too far behind positional ADP. But overall ADP, I've got Higby about 20 spots lower. There's just a ton of running backs and wide receivers I'd rather take in that range. Um, and I'd rather wait on tight end until late. If I miss out on those top three guys, then we'll talk about some of those guys in just a few minutes. I agree with you. Uh, if, if I miss out on the top five uh, to six tight ends in the draft at a reasonable price, which I would probably, unless I get, uh, get to take Kelsey in the first round or something, um, I, I would like to have Higby on my team, but not at this draft position. So if he falls to a reasonable spot, I'm happy to have him. I think the answer may be that Tyler Higby ends up 
one of the deep options on this team because we have not really seen Cup excel in that type of role. And um, I, I think Deshaun Jackson is uh, is really the main other deep threat they've got going here, right? Yeah, and I mean, they have Van Jefferson as well. Okay. To your point, I, I think Tyler Higby could finish as the tight end 8, tight end 10 in that range, yeah. but I'm not sure that's going to be more than a point or two per game, more than the tight end 18 or 19. You know, yeah. that range is just so fluid in terms of weekly. You're hoping for a touchdown, basically. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we have seen Stafford try and go after their tight ends, you know, Hawkinson, Ebron. He hasn't really worked out tremendously for him. The the one reason that I do have, you know, so, some, well, actually, it's probably because I, I have him in the Dynasty League, the reason I have so much optimism for him. <laughs> <laughs> getting, getting Everett out of town, I think, is really going to tell us everything we need to know about Tyler Higby. And if you are a Dynasty rosterer like me of Tyler Higby, I think we're going to learn everything we need to know in the first six to seven weeks. We'll know we got something or we know we'll know we need to just drop him and stop waste, wasting the roster spot. Yeah, I just, I'm not going to have a whole lot of them added to yep. ADP. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, overall, I don't hate the tight end rankings in tier list amongst the tight ends, just like you said. Um, I think that they are ranked a little high. I don't know if that's a best ball special or how that works out, but um, if you're outside of the top five tight ends, I say you just wait and either stream the position or wait for somebody to break out. Heck. You know, well, we'll talk about guys that are uh, going lower than ADP. Um, the only other guy that I would consider dropping, really, is if Ertz stays with the team, Goddard should be drafted later. They have shown that they want to keep Ertz on the field. Ertz is coming in looking refreshed, not from a physical standpoint, but his hair is looking refreshed. Um, <laughs> so so they he would not be doing something like that if he was not told by coaching that he'd be on the field as a fan favorite with that sort of thing. Yeah, I just, this still feels to me like, you know, he's there because they haven't found a, a trade worth pursuing yet because nobody wants to pay up for Earth's huge contract. But this still feels to me like, you know, preseason week three, we're going to see Earth's move somewhere. And I'm not super confident about that, but gun to my head, I, I, I think Earth's is gone by week one. Really? My, I... And, who would pay who would pay up for that though who would i mean don't say chicago because i know i know what you're thinking but, <laughs> well, they've, been, they've been linked has been linked to buffalo um which Ugh. i think makes sense as a more reliable option than than dawson knox no, again i, I think it comes no, down to no. yeah exactly why would you pay zach Ertz so much to do exactly what dawson knox will do for you i don't know i just i feel like that Everything we've heard this offseason, I think the Eagles are still trying to move them. They just haven't found the right buyer yet, and we'll see. So so you think that Ertz will be on the Eagles week one? I think he will, but regardless, I don't think Hertz is going to support Goddard to be a you know worth drafting in, in one of the upper rounds regardless. Yeah, I, I do agree that Goddard's ADP is still a bit too high for me, but I do think that part of that is people still thinking that Ertz is going to be gone. But regardless, you know, he's going in what, the eighth round or so, and there's still a lot of good options in that range uh, that I would take over Goddard at this point. Why don't you tell me about him? Um, well, let's see. Guys <laughs> going after him right now, uh, Elijah Moore, who we've heard glowing reports out of training camp on. Um, 
Let's see. Guys like oh, no, Brady I, and Tannehill are going after Goddard. I was transitioning to your tight end values. Oh, well, we can we can go that <laughs> route as well. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, so tight end values at ADP. Uh, one of my guys, Johnny Smith, who's going 149th overall tight end 17. Ooh, 149. And, yeah, that's like free. That's like the last round of your your you know 14, 15 team shallower draft. Yeah. Um, just super cheap for a guy who finished as the tight end 13 in PPR last year, even after missing two games with an ankle injury. Just 65 targets on a low volume Titans offense. Uh, in New England now, look, the Patriots might not pass a ton either, but his wide receiver competition went from A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, who I'm not even super high on Corey Davis, but to guys like Nelson Aguilar, Nikhil Harry, and Jacoby Myers. The Patriots are going to use their two expensive tight ends that they signed in free agency, and we know that Bill Belichick loves Jonu Smith, right? A couple years ago, he went on record calling Jonu, quote, the best in the league after the catch. So we know that Josh McDaniels is going to manufacture some plays where Janu can get some yards after the catch here. There's going to be a defined role for these tight ends. And Belichick was right. In 2020, Janu was fifth in yards after the catch per reception among tight ends, ranked above Kelsey and Waller in that metric. And in 2019, Janu was second among tight ends in yards after the catch per reception, behind only Noah Fant. So if we're projecting even a slight increase in targets over his 65 from last year, I don't, I'm not projecting Johnny Smith as a top five fantasy tight end, but I don't think it's crazy. And at the very least, I think he should be drafted in the top 12 tight ends, not at tight end 17. So, you know, on top of that, we already saw some video from training camp of Johnny getting used out of the, the runner. So maybe some goal line touchdowns are in his future as well. I think he's an absolute steal in the 14th, 15th round. I have him ranked tight end 11 in the late 10th round, and that might still be a little bit too low, to be honest. Tight end is so diluted when you get past the uh, top five or six um, that that absolutely he can he could be a top he he could be a top uh, you know top 10 tight end every single week of the year um, should be being drafted higher than he is. I think everybody is being scared away by the fact that they signed Hunter and Janu. Um, hey, when, I mean, not to harken back to days of yore, but when Hernandez and Gronkowski were there, they both did quite well. I don't think this offense is going to be, you know, anywhere near good is that obviously, but uh, it's slim pickings at the other tight end uh, spots on other teams. So that's where that value can come from. And I think they're going to, I think the both of them should be on the field, you know, for 80% of the offensive snaps. Oh, yeah. They're going to use a ton of 12 personnel, assuming Hunter Henry is healthy. I think he tweaked the shoulder or something, but it doesn't sound too serious. Yeah. Um, but that's the other thing, right? Hunter Henry has been made of glass his entire career. So yep. in, on the off chance that he misses some time, you know, all the tight end targets are going to Janu. Yep, exactly. Uh, I think this is a good transition because Janu went from Tennessee to New England. And the next guy uh, I want to talk about is who replaced him in Tennessee, who stepped up, Anthony Ferkser, who's going 161st overall as the 19th tight end. Um, and look, this with Janu gone, it opens up a starting role for Ferkser here, who I think is a big value as well. Even after the trade for Julio, there's a role for Ferkser to be third on the team in target share. He's not some super exciting athletic tight end, not like an Adam Troutman or a Johnny Smith type, 
But Ferkser is a savvy route runner, and he has that chemistry with Tannehill. Of tight ends who saw 50 or more targets in 2020, Ferkser ranked fifth in yards per route run behind only Kittle, Kelsey, Waller, and Andrews. And then in that game where Johnny Smith left with an ankle injury in week six last year, Ferkser became Tannehill's go-to guy. He finished with eight catches for 113 yards and a touchdown. Now, I'm not expecting that kind of production every game, but the ceiling is there from week to week for Ferkser. He's being drafted as a back-end tight end, too, and he has a pass to finishing as a back-end tight end one this year. And Julio Jones already kind of nicked up in camp. We know he's had issues recently staying healthy. If Julio were to miss a few games or, you know, with his traditional active but limited role, Berkshire could be the number two target in some games. And, look, Logan Thomas had a ton of targets last year when his, the only options for Washington were him and Terry McLaurin. So there are going to be some games where I think Berkshire could see double-digit targets again. So this is why I generally like to wait until the last few rounds to grab a tight end if I miss out on those elite guys because you've got guys like Janu and Ferkser who have that upside. I actually think that uh, Ferkser's upside is higher with Julio on the field. If you're covering Julio, you're covering A.J. Brown, you're pressing up into the box to stop Derrick Henry, what are you going to do about Anthony Ferkser, who, in my opinion, is an underrated uh, talented tight end? Yep, another bologna sandwich. <laughs> Yep. Hey, sometimes bologna's good. My bologna has a first name. It's A-N-T-H-O-N-Y. Hey, uh, you know what? I enjoy just uh, ham and cheese, something, you know, super chill for lunch. It, it, it does the job, right? It, yeah. It's not sexy, but it does the job. Hey, <laughs> careful what you're saying about bologna over there, all right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, um, not a lot to highlight in tight end. I think you hit the two main big ones. One I want to bring in is Adam Troutman, who's going off at tight end 13 right now. And this is like one of those bare necessities picks, right? I don't actually think he's super talented. I don't think he's amazing. I don't think he's an amazing value. But at where he is in drafts, it's entirely possible that he's not getting drafted. So just keep him in mind because he there, there's nobody else to throw the football to on this team right now uh, other than the running back. So that's the guy. Yeah, I have no issue with that. I like Troutman a lot. I actually have him ranked as tight end nine. So I'm above, uh, I'm above market on him as well. Goodness. Um, and then, hey, you know, if you really want to wait, Blake Jarwin, he was getting, he's going undrafted sometimes. Um, huge value. Yeah, everybody's forgotten about him. Yep. Yeah, and look, we, we know Dalton Schultz did well last year, uh, but they signed Blake Jarwin to be the guy. And if he's 100% or even 90% back from that ACL, I, I think he's a better yards after the catch guy than Schultz. Yeah, especially if if, uh, if Cooper's going to miss any time, which he has been known to do. Yeah, well, that's a situation worth monitoring as well. But uh, this is going to wrap up our first preseason episode. Stay tuned. We're going to have more for you guys coming soon in the preseason. Um, yeah, it feels great to be back, Los. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't believe that we've already had the uh, the Hall of Fame game. Can't believe we're already in the preseason. This season's going to be here uh, before we know it. Yeah, let them know where they can find us, Los. Sure, they can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our upcoming podcast episodes. We're here for you. Yeah, and don't forget to check out Thrive Fantasy with the promo code SFA. 
Get excited for football, boys and girls. Uh, hope you guys are all staying healthy and safe out there. It's a fantasy world, and we're all just addicts in it. Thanks, addicts.